This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. BC's economic recovery plan. We're just starting a very long journey that we have to take together. How the province is spending $1.5 billion to get us through the COVID crisis as BC hits a new daily record. An arrest in the new Westminster Pier fire. This male was arrested for arson-related offenses. Why the suspect has already been released. And Vancouver's mayor addresses the furor over furniture. I was disappointed, like others yesterday, to see that this purchase had been made. Could the city backtrack on some recent high-end purchases? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some breaking details of an arrest in the fire that destroyed a large part of New Westminster Pier Park. That fire is still burning today, days after it started. Paul Johnson is live in New Westminster with the details on this. Paul, the suspect was actually arrested a couple of days ago. Yeah, he was on Tuesday. Sophie, there's a really striking image just behind me here. Just in the past hour, as we've been watching them dismantle what's left of the pier, you can see there are actually new flames still popping up through holes in it. And this was a fire, of course, that started four days ago, which speaks to the magnitude of this fire, which was massive. Also massive, of course, the loss to the city of New Westminster. And this news this afternoon that this may have, in fact, been an arson is no doubt going to compound that loss. New West police telling us they arrested a suspect on Tuesday here in New Westminster. And so far, they've made the decision to release him, which might seem strange given the seriousness of this, but they had their reasons for it and they explained here. There are numerous factors we consider prior to releasing someone, and one is ongoing risk to the public. At this time, there's nothing to suggest that there is any ongoing risk to the public, and that's why he was released. As far as his conditions go, uh, because it's an ongoing investigation, we can't release that information. So New West police say they'll be recommending charges to Crown Council in the coming days, and we might get answers to some of the big questions here, namely, who is this suspect, how did they get on to him, and what, if any, is the motive that they're going to allege in this case one other thought here, and this is reporter's instinct more than anything else, but as we've been watching this, you can see there are literally millions of bits of decaying wood soaked in creosote here floating in the Fraser River now. I wonder if there's going to be an environment story here in the coming days. And some of the passersby from New Westminster who've been watching this told us they were concerned about that as well. Sophie? Well, I think we've got your next assignment, Paul. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now to some breaking details of a special meeting involving the NDP Provincial Council that's only going to add to the speculation and rumors of an early election call coming. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria Forest right now. Keith, this is a virtual meeting to approve the party's election budget. Do we read any more into it than that? 
Well, they've had to move up the timing of the meeting. It was scheduled a couple weeks ago, but just in case to get ready, because an election call could be imminent, the meeting was rescheduled for 5 o'clock today, and it is to pass the, the party's election budget. It's, it's a routine thing. They do it every time there's an election. Uh, but now, just to be safer than sorry, they're moving the timing of the meeting up. Just getting some texts from people uh, in the meeting. They say they're going through the budget line by line. It's expected to pass, and that will set the stage for John Horgan to pull the plug whenever he wants, should he choose to do it. One other sign of an election is is near. Uh, longtime former NDP MP Nathan Cullen tweeted just a couple hours ago he is now seeking the nomination for the riding of Stikine in the northwest corner of BC, currently held by outgoing Forest Minister Doug Donaldson. We now have three federal MPs, former federal MPs, now putting their hats in the ring for an election they certainly expect to happen sooner than later. So keep you on your toes, folks. I think it's going to be close in terms of the timing, but we don't know for sure quite yet. Are you on speed dial? Thanks very much, Keith. <laughs> well, of course, that meeting is happening just a few hours after the NDP government finally released its long-awaited pandemic economic recovery plan. The $1.5 billion blueprint calls for investments in health care, job creation, tourism, and infrastructure. The big question now, is the program an NDP platform for a possible fall election? Richard Zussman reports. It's what the government calls its roadmap to recovery. Our recovery plan has four main priorities. The province outlining billions of dollars in new spending as part of pandemic relief. There's the $1.5 billion for economic recovery, then on top of that $660 million in new tax measures and $540 million for municipalities. Well, what we've been able to do here is to uh, put in place an unprecedented amount of resources for people, for businesses and for communities between provincial budgets. Some of the money allocated before today, the province committing to $469 million to look out for people, including $300 million for the thousands of healthcare jobs already announced. There's $405 million in economic recovery, $300 million of that for small and medium-sized business recovery grants. The province announcing a PST rebate on heavy machinery. This plan does precious little to restore the confidence of consumers to put money in their pocket and get them back out enjoying life. And the plan seems to fall short for the tourism sector. A tourism task force set up for $50 million and tourism community support for $19.4 million, well short of the $670 million the industry wanted. But overall economists support of the plan and helping those out of work. So we're encouraged specifically by some of the things that they've highlighted around the need for rapid reskilling and recredentialing for individuals that may not see their jobs come back. Municipalities also benefiting $100 million for a new COVID infrastructure program, plus federal and provincial money for transit and municipalities, totaling $1.62 billion. But the BC Greens were hoping for a bigger vision. So this is a time of crisis when we have to say, we don't want to just continue tinkering around the edges and get back to this kind of crisis again. All of this setting up to be John Horgan's election platform for a potential full election, he insists, is still not guaranteed. Is this a plan that will win you an election? Uh, I've not made a decision about an election. And when he'll decide is the billion-dollar question that goes along with this billion-dollar plan. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
Well, one day after a global news exclusive that showed truckloads of pricey furniture being dropped off at Vancouver City Hall, Mayor Kennedy Stewart says that purchase should be reviewed. And as Jordan Armstrong reports tonight, at least one neighborhood is looking at withholding property taxes because of how the city has handled its problems. Council doesn't vote on furniture. <laughs> I was disappointed, like others yesterday, to see that uh, this purchase had been made. And Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart isn't going to take this one sitting down. We're in, you know, really quite tough financial times, so I've asked the city manager to review this. Forget a review. Roll the $317,000 worth of designer furniture back to where it came from, says the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I actually use this as my office chair, so please, we're begging with the mayor. Find the happy medium between this terrible office chair and the super expensive office chairs that you ordered. Get our money back. Chris Sims says the chair order amid Vancouver's COVID cash crunch highlights the need for more accountability in local government spending. We're pleading with the Premier of BC to step in at times like this and fill out the office of the Municipal Auditor General. Right now we have one. It's toothless. News of the $2.6 million reno to City Hall's second floor comes two weeks before taxes are due. And in Strathcona, where poverty and property crime have exploded, resident Katie Lewis says close to 300 of her neighbours are threatening a tax revolt. We're tired of being ignored because we've always been ignored. We're just pointing out that at this point, they don't get to ignore us anymore. Back at City Hall, the mayor hopes the furniture faux pas will take a back seat to pandemic priorities. Our focus will be square on making sure that uh, all necessary funds are spent on uh, tackling COVID and getting us all back on track. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. BC posted its highest one-day total for new COVID-19 cases today. However, some important context, a major reason for that is testing. Nearly 7,700 tests were conducted, also a new high. So we have 165 new confirmed cases, and that brings our total to 7,663. Sadly, there is another death, which means we've now lost 220 people to complications from the virus. 57 people are in hospital. 22 of those patients are in ICU. 5,719 people are considered recovered leaving us with 1,705 active cases and just shy of 3,000 people in isolation. Also today, an announcement about making testing easier for students. Today, a new Made in BC sample collection program has been launched for all K-12 students across the province, and it is one of the first of its kind around the world. For school-aged children in BC, so those aged 4 to 19, a Mothrin's gargle is now available at the COVID-19 collection centres or assessment centres around BC, so across the province. So unlike the nasal pharyngeal swab, this is a new saline gargle where you put a little bit of normal saline, so the sterile water in your mouth, you swish it around a little bit and you spit it into a little tube. And that's a, an easier way to collect it for young people. 
Well, the industry associations representing B.C. restaurants and bars say the province's new public health order stopping liquor sales at 10 p.m. has quickly become yet another nail in the coffin for many establishments. They were already struggling to stay alive through the pandemic, and now they're pleading with Dr. Henry to reconsider. Brad McLeod reports. Olson shows his closed Victoria nightclub district. Now it's become essentially uh, some storage. For chairs from his pub upstairs, where he's already had to reduce customer capacity under provincial health orders and is now feeling the fallout from last week's announcement. Liquor sales in all bars, pubs and restaurants must cease at 10 p.m. You know, we've committed to it. Uh, but there's operators out there that aren't. It would be nice to see it in writing. Absolutely furious that eight days after her verbal announcement, we still don't have details. Stakeholders for booze and restaurants in the province demanding the financially devastating policies be revisited. Well, we found out if you are a busy bar in, or a restaurant in Vancouver or Yaletown, um, about 50% of your revenue comes in after 10 p.m. If you're just an urban bar, uh, Kelowna, Kamloops uh, and the rest of Vancouver, 25 to 30%. They want last call to be bumped to midnight and for more enforcement of those not following the rules. If there's bad operators out there that shut them down and keep the rest of us open. We do not make these decisions lightly. From the issues that we were seeing in communities around the province, that there becomes a time at the night when um, things become liquor forward and we knew that there was ongoing issues with transmission. Dr. Bonnie Henry says the order is being drafted right now. I'm hopeful they'll be up by tomorrow at the latest. Olson argues rule-following pubs like his are the safest place for imbibers to be. By shutting at 10, um, people, it's going underground and you're going to possibly have more infection because people aren't in safe environments. So will the policy be revisited? They're absolutely, uh, I believe, the right decisions to have made. A straight-up no. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A normal traffic stop quickly became something much more with police seizing a high-end Corvette, $50,000 in cash, and stolen property. The Surrey Gang Enforcement Team pulled the driver over at 100th Avenue in King George Boulevard on September 11th after officers saw three people crowded into the two-seater vehicle. After a violation ticket was issued, officers say they found bags of cash and packages of suspected steroids. The three people arrested are all known to police. Charges have yet to be laid. RCMP say there have been three similar traffic stops like this in the city over the past couple of weeks. Vancouver police are investigating after three people were killed on Wednesday in two unrelated incidents. The deaths are the city's 12th, 13th and 14th homicides of the year. Ted Chernecki has more. Vancouver's 12th, 13th and 14th homicides this year. And they happened in a span of about an hour. First at the Astoria Hotel around 7 p.m. last night. Just after 7, our officers did attend the call. I believe the call was made by staff at the Astoria. Upon entry, our officers did find two unresponsive people in a room. One was pronounced dead right on the scene. Other was taken to hospital where that person was uh, pronounced dead. Police aren't saying how the two died, only that their deaths appear unrelated to a third homicide. This one in South Vancouver. And shortly after, just before 7.30 p.m., officers responded to multiple 911 calls of shots being fired near East 64th Avenue and Knight Street. 
One victim was found dead in front of a house in that area. Today, police remained on site analyzing the crime scene and talking to neighbors like a resident who lives directly across the street and says he heard four shots, went to the window, but saw no one flee the scene. I, I think from what I heard from the police, it was targeted, so I don't feel immediate threat at all, but it's sad to know that that kind of stuff is going on, and I, I really feel for the families of those involved, even, uh, you know, it's, it's a very tragic, tragic thing that happens. A burned-out vehicle was found later in a field in Richmond, but police aren't saying if it's related to the shooting. There are no suspects in custody. Ted Chernocky, Global News. Well, no surprise after that that there is a worrying uptick in violent crime reflected in the latest Vancouver crime statistics. Vancouver police releasing the report for the first six months of 2020. It shows violent crime increased by 5.2%. Neighborhoods including Strathcona, the West End, Yaletown and Chinatown in particular recorded higher crime numbers. In Strathcona, weapons calls went up 50%, and it seems businesses closed due to the pandemic have been left vulnerable to thieves, with a nearly 50% increase in commercial property break-ins. The last three, four months, we should be seeing our crime numbers drop in pretty much every category because there's been less targets, less victims, less people out and about. But yet we're seeing increases in areas which, is, which are a huge concern for us, and that's property crime in the most serious property crimes where people are breaking into your homes and businesses as well as your uh, street level assaults and your violent crimes. VPD say they are trying to address the concerns by adding more resources and patrols in neighborhoods experiencing spikes in crime. Anyone who witnesses any suspicious activity is urged to call police so they can keep track of it. Well, today is the fourth day of Variety Week, and your generosity has been incredible. You've helped so many kids who are in need of life-altering equipment and services. And again, across the bottom of the screen, we're showing the names of British Columbians like you who have donated to help kids right across the province. Children who need all of our support right now. And later on, we'll hear the story of Merrim and speech therapy and how it's opening up a whole new world for her. A human smuggling case bogged down in the courts and paid for by Canadian taxpayers. The American accused of aiding many who crossed into Canada illegally and why there are questions about whether it'll ever go to trial. That's in just over a minute. A B.C. driver busted asleep at the wheel in Alberta going 150 kilometers an hour. That's later on the news hour. And B.C.'s great tadpole migration. A local filmmaker turns his camera on a part of the B.C. wilderness most of us have never seen. That's still to come. Right now, though, it's been more than a year since the owner of the Smugglers Inn Bed and Breakfast was charged with more than 20 offenses related to helping people enter Canada illegally. The inn is located in Blaine, Washington, just steps from the U.S.-Canada border. And now U.S. citizen Robert Boulay is challenging the constitutionality of the Canadian law he's accused of breaking. Ramina Dea reports. Robert Boulay's trial was supposed to commence in B.C. Supreme Court Monday. The trial halted. The American citizen launching a constitutional challenge. He's providing a service. He's an innkeeper. And I highly doubt that he was organized in some 
sophisticated alien smuggling operation. Len Saunders, a U.S. immigration attorney who has been friends with Boulay for 20 years, says the Canadian government is using Boulay as a scapegoat. Boulay is facing 21 human smuggling-related charges. He was arrested in April of last year, accused of helping seven illegal migrants cross into Canada. Boulay's bed and breakfast, the Smuggler's Inn, sits on Zero Avenue on the American side, steps away from the Canadian border. Yes, I'm sure that some of his clientele did go to Canada illegally, but I think you should be looking after at the people who entered illegally, not the innkeeper who happens to be right on the border. Boulay is challenging the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, the Canadian law he's been charged under. His lawyers say it's essentially a bad law and therefore unconstitutional. This is going to run well into hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not low millions, over time. Prominent immigration lawyer Richard Curland says it could take years for the matter to be resolved. Five lawyers are in court for federal crown. Boulay's defense paid for by Canadian taxpayers. It's rare, but it was court-ordered, an option afforded to individuals facing serious and complex criminal charges who have been denied legal aid and can't afford a lawyer. It's low-hanging fruit to take on a lone American on the other side of the border, maybe to establish a precedent, maybe to cause a change in law. Uh, Not sure what the motive is. Boulay is still operating the smugglers in under strict conditions imposed by a Canadian court. Romina Dea, Global News. Up next, the fight over a tree fort. I think it's amazing, and whatever neighbor complained, it's very disappointing. How this COVID project might be on the chopping block. Also ahead, how you can help young Maram reach her full potential as Variety Week continues. Traffic is steady both ways tonight on the Lionsgate Bridge. No delays out of downtown on Georgia Street and just minor congestion on the Cloverleaf out of north and west Vancouver. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. portion of the program is brought to you in part by Connect Hearing, your hearing professionals. Specialized therapies can help children overcome challenges and difficulties. They also often come with a steep price tag. And that's where Variety tries to step in and help. Tonight, the story of Maram, who has made great progress with speech therapy, but her grant is coming to an end and her future is uncertain. Do you think you can do it there with your finger? Yeah. Yeah. Let's try. It was hard for me first of all to hear about apraxia, but after that, it was the relief to say, okay, now we know what she has. Now we can go ahead and look for the treatment that she needs. Treatment that comes in the form of specialized therapy sessions, which help six-year-old Maram with childhood apraxia of speech. The problem for her is to actually put together in her mouth, the muscles, and her tongue. For her, is very difficult. So just the simple sounds will be a big challenge for Maran. Has wings. Has wings. For the past two years, Variety has provided Maram's family with grants to cover the cost of weekly speech and language sessions 
and bi-weekly occupational therapy sessions, which are crucial for her development. It's really important that she be able to express these really beautiful, complex ideas that she wants to tell the world. And for her, um, sometimes being able to uh, choose the right word or get the words in the right order can be really challenging. The number of families applying to Variety has doubled this past year as more and more kids are being identified as having special needs. And earlier intervention can produce positive results. Having consistent therapy allows you to build on your skill set and be more independent and successful in the things you want to do. And for kids, that's wanting to play and wanting to be successful in their self-help skills and feel independent. Her family has applied to Variety for another year of therapy sessions. But due to the increased demand, Maram is on a waiting list, unsure of what the future holds. It's very hard. Definitely, uh, we're struggling. If Variety cannot continue helping us, um, we don't know what we're going to do. Because for the past two years, their funding and their help help her progress so much. For that to stop, um, it's, it will affect us uh, very much. Maram will only be able to continue her sessions if viewers like you are able to donate to Variety. So please call now. With your help, children like Maram won't have to worry about their future. So call 310KIDS now and donate so that Variety can ease the stress on families worrying about grants. Mm-hmm. All right, now the story of an epic treehouse that took a few months and several thousand dollars to build. The COVID project was meant to bring the family together, but it seems to have divided the neighborhood. And as Catherine Rickhart shows us, the dad who built it might have to tear it all down. Were there tears? Yeah, a lot of tears, uh, several times. Adam Rennie's two young children are devastated. Their much-loved treehouse may need to come down after the District of North Vancouver issued a stop work order. The kids are heartbroken and we're very frustrated by it. Seven-year-old Olivia and nine-year-old Jackson helped build the dreamy play space, the family taking special care not to harm the trees. At the time, playgrounds were closed due to the pandemic. Also closed then, district offices. We're notified by the district that one or two of our neighbours had complained about it, so now we're in a position where I've been told that we either have to spend several thousand dollars to apply to the Board of Variants to be able to get a permit for it, or we have to tear it down by October 1st. A neighbor's complaint prompted the stop work order. I think it's amazing, and whatever neighbor complained, it's very disappointing. The district told Global News it asked the homeowner to discuss options for a development variance permit or Board of Variants with a residential plans reviewer to keep the treehouse structure in the front yard, apply for the necessary permits to relocate the structure to the rear yard, or remove the structure entirely. Despite this, work on the structure continued. Adam Rennie believes it would be impossible to meet the district's demands due to the size of his property and lack of other trees. And even though several hundred people have signed a Change.org petition supporting the structure, he fears he'll have to comply with the district order to remove it by October 1st. My son, you know, he said that tearing it down was going to uh, tear down his hopes and dreams. And, you know, it, it just it sort of feels like that's what's happening. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. <laughs> 
Up ahead, a leaked report into one of B.C.'s deadliest COVID outbreaks, the mistakes and missed chances that led to death at Langley Lodge. And a push to end police checks. What happened when it was brought up to the police board today? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Minimal delays in both directions over at the Patello Bridge between New West and Surrey. But keep in mind, right underneath the bridge is a closure on Front Street. Basically, from end to end, use Columbia or Royal Avenue instead. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout B.C. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Opponents of street checks are continuing their campaign to get Vancouver police to stop the practice. Vancouver Council voted in July to abolish them, but the police board has the final say. Today, a coalition of groups pressed the board to follow council's lead. Nadia Stewart tells us what kind of response they got. While an all-party committee continues its review of the province's police act, Thank you for phoning in. The ongoing debate over police street checks is once again on the agenda, this time at the Vancouver Police Board meeting, where a motion was introduced to make street checks the subject of a review process that would involve public consultation. We don't need any more reviews. This is an illegal practice. BC Civil Liberties lawyer Latoya Farrell, along with other advocates, say they continue to hear concerns from black and indigenous residents about street checks, the stopping and questioning of an individual by police outside of an investigation. This, even though Vancouver Police Chief Adam Palmer introduced a new policy earlier this year, saying the checks could neither be arbitrary or racially motivated. It erodes trust in the police. It fundamentally undermines the very thing that the police are trying to do, which is protect the public and prevent crime. Walking the streets and knowing that uh, police can stop you at any time for any reason is not, it's very unsettling. Um, and we see with the numbers that we represent uh, 4% of street checks when we're only 1% of Vancouver's population. However, at the meeting, a former Vancouver police officer spoke in favor of street checks, arguing they played a role in helping to initiate the investigation into murdered and missing Indigenous women. The decision to ban these street checks is so crazy because it doesn't only just affect the vulnerable, vulnerable women on the downstream side, it'll affect every mother and every family that you know, 13-year-old starts to run away because the police just won't check them. Despite saying earlier this year he wants street checks abolished. Uh, I think it's appropriate for me to uh, recuse myself um, from the meeting. And Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart did not take part in Thursday's discussion. In the end, the board voted to defer, meaning the long-awaited decision is still a long ways off. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Some shocking revelations tonight about what led to a COVID outbreak that killed 26 people at Langley Lodge. Two nurses there breached screening protocols and one has been linked to infecting elderly, uh, elderly residents there. As Erin MacArthur reports, this is raising a lot of questions about how effective the screening measures are. 26 people dead. 76 total infections with COVID-19. 
all because safety protocols were ignored at the Langley Lodge. One of BC's most severe care home outbreaks traced back to staff who knowingly went to work sick. There is a, a degree of trust that we put into our employees to ensure that they follow all of the rules and procedures associated with the screening requirements. An internal report done by the CEO at the Langley Care Society paints a terrifying picture of how quickly the virus spread detailing how ill-prepared staff were to deal with it and how inconsistent government policy combined to create an environment which saw more than two dozen people die. The report, dated August 11th, was leaked to Glacier Media. Thursday, Fraser Health CEO Dr. Victoria Lee refused to let the public see the document. Uh, at the end of the day, I think this is an internal report that was developed by Langley Lodge. According to Fraser Health, the report is not being used to blame individuals or point fingers, but to better prepare for a future wave of infections. Yet the worker who knowingly avoided screening procedures was fired, but only after they worked with as many as 16 patients inside the Langley Lodge. This was a very challenging outbreak, and you'll remember when we talked about it, uh, when we were going through that time, um, you know, the challenges that it was on an Alzheimer's ward and how difficult it was to manage. Some family members of residents say the time for blame is long gone. Well, if you solve for everybody. The report makes suggestions to better deal with another outbreak, including removing positive patients from the facility and a better testing regime to catch asymptomatic carriers. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up ahead, a new documentary sheds light on one of BC's greatest natural wonders. Each morning, the tadpoles come together to form a cloud. What his cameras captured as he followed this strange tadpole migration. And later, a BC driver pushes his Tesla past its legal limits and pays the price. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. We are getting an amazing look tonight at an underwater world most of us know little to nothing about. That's right. BC filmmaker Maxwell Hone spent four years in a Vancouver Island lake documenting the daily migration of western toad tadpoles, which swim a treacherous gauntlet every day just to eat. Linda Aylesworth reports. I got, I got three, I got three. For many children, tadpoles are the first introduction to the wonders of the wild kingdom. Tadpoles look so cute, don't they? Everyone remembers tadpoles as a, as a kid. You know, seeing them in the lake, catching them in a little bucket and putting them back in the lake. I was that kid. Today, Maxwell Hone is a nature videographer who still loves tadpoles. You can't help but form a connection. Um, Especially when you've got like a close-up lens, you can see their little mouths or they have this permanent smile on their face. And so he decided to document their lives under the lily pads of a remote lake on northern Vancouver Island, where as many as three million western toad tadpoles live and travel in what's known as clouds. I spend many hours trying to find this cloud and when I come across it, it's, it's almost like seeing the the wildebeest on the Serengeti. Their days begin early when they rise from the bottom of the lake and travel en masse to the shallows where there's plenty to eat. But there are dangers along the way. Birds, bugs and leeches. It's really quite gruesome what, what they do and how they swallow the, the tadpoles but 
it's all an important part of the fragile ecosystem. But it is the things that are not part of the natural order that have made the western tota species at risk, like climate change, habitat degradation, and the roads they must cross while migrating from water to woods. With the traffic, you don't often see these little toads because they're, they're no bigger than a, than a dime. So unfortunately, a lot of them get crushed. Maxwell's goal, to raise the profile and the plight of these little guys so that we might take better care of them. I thought, we'll put this video together and put it out for free, make people more aware of the species, and, and hopefully it becomes something bigger. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Amazing wow. photography in that documentary. Yeah. And he clearly loves his tadpoles. He does. Okay, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that forecast and uh, more smoke advisories for parts of B.C. Christy? Yeah, Sophie, that's right. It's been extended further north, and I'll show you that in a second. I want you to just quickly note, of course, still smoky behind me. This is actually day seven of smoke across our region. It has been coming and going at times, but overall, today we've had a visibility of only about four to five kilometers. Here's a quick look at the air quality health advisory for our region right now. What's interesting here is that the Squamish area has gotten worse today. Same for the Fraser Valley, whereas Metro Vancouver has improved in terms of air quality. Once again, we're seeing it coming and going and we'll continue to see that through tomorrow. We talked about a change for tomorrow. Here's a look at the air quality health index for the interior regions. You can see also an improvement. Uh, here's a quick look at how far that air quality advisory has extended further north. It includes now the central interior, the north coast region, Bulkley Valley and the lakes and a quick look at some of the visibilities across the region. These are current uh, unlimited to Fino. Nice little break for them but most other regions quite limited as you can see here. Now, we talked about the change for tomorrow. That change is going to occur, but I want you to note we're not going to see a rapid change tomorrow. Showers are going to push in. We'll start to see more motion in the atmosphere to help scour out that smoke, but it will take a little while. It's likely not until the weekend that coastal regions will see a significant change, and the interior, it may not be until Sunday. So once again, coastal regions likely seeing that change first, interior regions second. Widespread smoke likely for the interior regions again tomorrow showers for coastal regions, gradual improvement tomorrow, but more significant improvement likely over the weekend. And yes, we are still expecting showers. That will help uh, on Saturday and that will help that improvement still. Here's a great shot. This is a sunset, smoky sunset shot looking out over Green Lake. Thank you to Robin Cowan for that. All right, guys, back to you. Great well, shot. Often imagine Wayne Cox viewing <laughs> out over Green Lake too. Thanks, Christy. All right, let's check in with Squire for a look at what's ahead. Okay, I'm going to ask a question here. I mean, I'll give you the answer eventually. I'll give you the answer in a few seconds. But ask yourself, who is New England coach Bill Belichick talking about here? Um, you know, his winning percentage is impressive. He's there for every game, never missed a game. He's talking about that guy, Russell Wilson. In fact, Bill Belichick will tell us he thinks he's the best player in football. Also coming up, how Tesla owners can cheat the system that's supposed to keep them and other drivers safe. All right, Squires here with sports, and after some turmoil for the Whitecaps, uh, what happened last night? Well, uh, they won. Yeah. I know. 
Who would have thought that? Uh, Freddie Montero actually had a remember me night for the Vancouver Whitecaps last night against Montreal. He was the guy, and he went from being the guy to the other guy when the uh, Whitecaps brought in Lucas Cavallini to be their big striker. But with Cavallini suspended for last night's game, Montero reminded everyone that, yes, he can still score goals. Montero, great touch back to Owusu. Freddie Montero made the most of his first start with the Whitecaps in over a year. Just a few weeks ago, it appeared Montero was fed up and wanted to leave the team after being passed over for games once the club returned from the MLS's back tournament, which he decided not to attend. But his coach says he just wasn't physically ready to play. And once he saw he was fit, he gave him his chance, and Freddie took full advantage. Freddie did everything right today, everything right. And we have to... To give credit to his game on the ball, he was solid. In the box, he was solid. Uh, and he, he definitely allowed the team uh, to get the, the three points today. Montero kickstarted the Whitecaps' win on this bizarre play when he was punched in the leg by an impact player. The Whitecaps got a penalty out of it, which Montero converted, and the Colombian took over, helping to set up the Whitecaps' second goal as well. They'll need more of the same going forward as they'll play the rest of their games this season in the USA due to COVID-19 restrictions. We need to fight together like we like we did tonight, stick together, stick to our game plan and look to implement the same things we did tonight and capitalize on our chances and, and, and we'll be okay. We just we need to be a team that fights together now more than ever, especially going on the road for this long stretch. The last time the Caps headed south, many of their top players opted out for various reasons, but at least this time, it appears they'll have a full squad to give them a fighting chance to win some matches. We're leaving Friday, we're training Friday and leaving, and there's not one player that told me that he's not going, so that's not even a discussion. Uh, so right now everybody's in and everybody's available and everybody's gonna is gonna help the team. Round one, U.S. Open, Tiger Woods, 18th hole. He has a chip, but unfortunately with a dip. That's not very Tiger-like. Anyway, he was three over. He double bogeyed the final hole. Uh, your leader is Justin Thomas, JT, five under par, one shot lead. Uh, Rory McIlroy's a couple of back. Look at this, this guy's in second right now, Patrick Reed. Here's one of the reasons on the seventh hole. One bouncer. Watch this. It's an ace. Come on, who can't do that? Uh, Zach Johnson, I like this even better. Watch this putt in the first hole. He's got to put it by the hole, get it on the hill so it comes back to the hole. And that is a birdie. Adam Hadwin plus two after 18 holes. Bill Belichick is normally a man of few words. Taciturn would be a good word for him. But when he was asked about what he thought about Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson, whom the Patriots will play this Sunday in Seattle, he had lots to say, and all of it was good. This guy's a tremendous player. Um, honestly, I think he's, you know, in a way maybe underrated by, by the media or the fans. I don't know, but I mean, I don't, I don't really see anybody better than this player. You know, he's got a great, a great ability to do the right thing at the right time. He has tremendous vision and sees the field extremely well. I don't think there's a better deep ball passer in the league um, in terms of decision making and accuracy. All right, it's the Celtics and the Heat. Game two, 
And this is the man from the loops who's good at hoops, Kelly Olenek, with the Heat, making a tough shot right there. Of course, he played for the Celtics at the start of his career. Olenek now a Miami Heat. Desperation three beats the clock. And there's a win, and the Heat are now up 2-0 in the East Finals against Boston. The Vancouver Warriors went local with the uh, second pick overall in the National Lacrosse Draft. They traded up to get Coquitlam star Reed Bowring. Um, he's a captain uh, of the uh, um, Junior Adnax for the past two years. He's got championship experience. Uh, he's got leadership written all over him and uh, we're just very excited that uh, we're going to be able to add a, a piece to our puzzle uh, of the value that he brings. And end of the second period, 1-1, Tampa and the Islanders, game six. There you go. All right. Thank you, Squire. Up next, the BC driver asleep at the wheel at 150 kilometers an hour. BC man has been charged with dangerous driving after a bizarre situation on a highway in Alberta. Police believe the driver put his Tesla on autopilot, reclined his seat, and then seemingly went to sleep. Global's Fletcher, Fletcher Kent has more. Notice anything missing from this picture? Like, say, anyone in the car? Back in July on Highway 2 near Pinoca, drivers and police certainly noticed. The officer was quite shocked when he realized he couldn't see anybody in the Tesla either. The seats were fully reclined. The person who called 911 said the driver and the passenger were asleep. The Tesla was traveling at up to 150 kilometers per hour. So he activates a siren on the police car. Uh, at this point in time, from right behind the Tesla, he's able to then see uh, a person from the driver's seat sit up. Teslas have an autopilot feature meant to assist alert drivers, not take over for them. Uh, lately, the technology has been abused. In the States, shocked drivers have taken video of several people seemingly asleep at the wheel on busy interstates. Their car is checking on you. Chris Fulgham is a Tesla owner. He also owns a transportation safety company. He says autopilot requires drivers to keep their hands on the wheel, but some drivers are finding ways to beat the safety protocols. They'll do things like duct tape a water bottle to the steering wheel to always give that feedback to the car. And that bothers him, to see a cutting-edge safety feature turned into something dangerous. need to have the, the pioneers of these new features treat them appropriately so that we can get public confidence in the system. It all prompts this rather basic plea from police. Don't rely on those systems to drive your vehicle. You still have the responsibility as the person sitting in the driver's seat to do just that, drive. Fletcher Kent, Global News. All right, we're wrapping up another day in Variety Week. The outpouring of support from our viewers so far has been incredible. Together, we are ensuring that kids with special needs across this province will get the help they need. Connect Hearing has provided a generous donation to Variety during tonight's news hour, pushing our kid count to 669. That's 669 kids who are being helped with close to $1.7 million in donations. But there are more children who need help, so call 310KIDS now or go online to variety.bc.ca. I realize now I have a tie with hearts on it. I got to break it out tomorrow, or the week's going to be over. It's not this well, one. No, that's the that's the right day for it. That's the right day for it. I'm Absolutely. doing it tomorrow. Okay. Tie with hearts on it. <laughs> Last word from you, Christy. Thanks, you guys. So yes, a few showers tomorrow. Not necessarily a widespread rain, but some improvement expected tomorrow. But it will be gradual. More so, it's over the weekend that you'll see the smoke start to clear significantly. Actually, looking forward to a little bit of rain. 
<laughs> Good. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night.